What's going on, Misfits? This week, we are going to get our Smarty Artie Negro on. We are joined by comedian, former teacher, and journalist. <laughs> you know, he's down with me, team journalism, set you free, Clark Jones. Now, this conversation's all over the place, like I love it to be. Clark is from Chicago, who's been living in New York City. I call him a gentrifier to his face. Yes, he is black. Um, we also discuss the importance of shacking up when you don't want to pay rent, why everything is burning and terrible in this country. I mean, what else is new? And a sign of guilt is if you kill yourself when you're charged of a crime, because if you're innocent, you wouldn't kill yourself because, you know, suicide is an easy way out. I'm not saying that suicide is, you know, I'm not making fun of people who commit suicide, even though they're not here, so they can't hear me say this right now. But if you're a spirit and you killed yourself, then like, let me know how it is on the other side. Um, send me a sign, flicker a candle or something like that. But we talk about so much other stuff. I don't know why I'm rambling. I'm just trying to be very colorful and animated. So you guys are like, listen to the show, but you already listened to the show. And since you do listen to the show, you might as well tell more people to listen to the show and rate it and like it on iTunes and SoundCloud. Come on, y'all get it together. You're listening to Social Misfit. What's going on, Misfit? Today we are joined by comedian, former educator. What up? Clark Jones. Facts. Yes. Super facts. Clark is one of the three co-hosts of Comedy at the Knit, Knitting Factory. Yeah. Um, created by uh, Hannibal Burris, uh, Stay Strong Brother. Um, free Hannibal. <laughs> free Again. Hannibal. This is for the next time. <laughs> like, we just um, keep them free. Yeah, Hannibal was recently um, arrested. You know you're a goofy, right? But but there's a viral video of it. This is the yeah. thing about when people get arrested. The video is like close enough to hear. Cannibal doesn't yell. So the video nah. was close enough to hear all of the dialogue. Just 20 minutes of the cop getting roasted. <laughs> it, it just like, it's good. Like, it's entertaining that to see him get, you know, talk shit to the police. But it also is like, now every argument is going to be like no they don't always get shot they some see so it's Hannibal proved that police don't shoot black people and you yeah just... but I'm pretty sure that those do you think those police officers knew who he was yeah they, Winnie, one of them down. one of them was like <laughs> Hannibal Burris and that's when like you could tell he he looked ready to flex and then um the people outside of the video I guess it was fans on the street they was like oh that's Hannibal Burris and then the cop went, oh, Hannibal Burst. And that's when they, the patients got just weird. got real big. They were big patient yeah. after that. Except the other one. The other one, like, kind of, uh, uh, <laughs> like, 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 you know that uh, claw? Like, when you yeah, at when the you amusement? Grab, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 that's how they did the back of his head <laughs> to push him in the <sighs> car. Hannibal's fine. He's fine, man. I want to turn this into a Michael Blackson, Kevin Hart situation. That's my boy. Like, I'm oh, definitely laughing at his face. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. You know how you start talking, like, it just creates a thought. Like, no. So, yeah. the whole purpose of me bringing up Hannibal is because Hannibal started this amazing room yeah. in Brooklyn, New York. Shout out to Hannibal because Hannibal, um, I remember when I first started comedy seven years ago, 
Um, and everybody was like, yo, you got to get on the knit. Like certain mm. shows in New York City, like Hannibal's Room, The Knitting Factory, um, Whiplash, UCB on Monday nights. They and, just moved, yeah. Yeah, they just moved to another location. And um, there was like one or two other shows that were like produced, not in the club, but like produced shows in rooms. Um, where people was, like, yeah, the one in the city uh, that was, uh, you know, on 2nd Avenue. Um, Hot Soup? No, nah, Rebecca's. Oh, oh, um, cabin, cabin, cabin. Be, okay, yeah. so this is what it used to be. So, Hannibal, Hannibal was on um Sunday. Uh, used to be with Blash was Monday night, and then Thursday was cabin on with on like Second Avenue. Um, mm-hmm. and never got to do ca- uh cabin because it shut down. You never did cabin. I never did cabin. Wow. I never okay. Did cabin. Um, but yeah, it was that was a hot room. So there's rooms that are like super hot. Yeah, but, um, and, it, but you you guys are still going strong. We still going strong. It was so crazy, you know. Like I don't know if any of the listeners are familiar with like you know forty eight laws of power and things like that. But it says never step into a great man's shoes. So everything that could like if it was just me or just one of us, mm-hmm. I think that would have swallowed us up. Yeah, you know because we've seen some of everything, every bad type of thing happen. With being um, essentially nobody's taking over a show from the most popular mm-hmm. comedian in the country for at that point at least three four years running, so it was it, it it's it's a lot. So thankfully, it made us closer friends for sure. It like, could yeah, yeah. could have definitely like broken you apart though because Absolutely. when people when people see three people in the power a position of power, even though y'all are so good, y'all are such men. Men do this all the time. <laughs> Um, whenever y'all get a position of power, not all the time, not all the time, but like whenever a man gets a position of power that they're not a hundred percent comfortable with, yeah. they try to still not own it. So when people be like, "Yo, can I do your show?" Be like, "Oh, we don't book our show. It ain't, it oh, ain't we that. Not, it ain't, oh, we don't book. A, we, a, show. we don't know how to do that's it. That's a survival know. tactic, man. That's a survival. T- Listen, let's just be frank. From the same perspective, you you talking about how everybody wanted to do the show. Everybody hates change. Mm-hmm. Like. I love Caroline's, but they change bookers every month. And so, like, <laughs> and what, you know, I, I, I headlined there a year ago, the, the book, and I don't even know who I am, so it's hard to build that rapport. So a lot of people have built up the show in their minds. are just like, okay, one day Hannibal, one day Hannibal's going to notice me. He's going to notice me. I killed Let him from him. I killed him from him. He's going to put me on the show. But and- that's because Hannibal actually booked his show. We book our show now. Now you book your show, but I'm saying Hannibal. This is and this is why I'm bringing up Hannibal. I'm gonna cut this conversation down because it's going way too long. Oh no, um, let's just let it flow. Okay, fine. Um, when I first started comedy, Hannibal's room was popping, and I might have been like maybe two years in, or no, I want to say three years in. It was before mm-hmm. I did last comic standing, so that was three years in. Mm-hmm. And I think actually I was trying to run a set for my last comic standing audition, and I just saw Hannibal on the scene because Hannibal, you know, will be out or whatever, and he's always cordial he's always cool mm-hmm. and i just literally emailed him and i was like hey can i need to run a seven minute spot he was like sure come down that was it yeah i had him on a tuesday i was on that sunday show yeah. like there was never any like um okie doke you know what i mean well here's the thing but about- y'all niggas no y'all no niggas no, too, no. <laughs> no not even not even not even close Be- and that do you know why that makes perfect sense to me that he hit you back like that because the 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 purpose of the show for him, he was trying to put on as many black comics on the show as he could. Yeah, especially those who like were killed in these quote unquote urban circuit or kill uptown, but had no idea or would get scared to perform in front of a room full of white hipsters. Mm-hmm. 
And he's like, yo, this is come. I created this room. Come down and see if that shit that kills on 125th Street yeah. also works in Williamsburg. So, you know, I, I knew that going in, too. So the show you was on last night, it was no white dudes on the show. No, no, it was it was very diverse. It was very diverse. It, it was, was mostly, mostly well, like It was just niggas and women. Yeah, <laughs> it all was, women. It was yep. four black dudes, two hosts, and the rest were women comics, and it was a great show. It was a so, show. like, people who say, yo, these comedy shows need more women or need more of this, like, come to those shows. You, yeah. gotta, you can't just say people what need, people need to put on their show and then don't support it, because white dudes go to shows where there's all white male lineups they don't even think about it they don't even think they'd be in there like michael george michael jackson with the popcorn just enjoying <laughs> itself but like you know if it's a show yeah. that was going on in new york and it was all black male community i would be in there like all yeah. the time for yeah. the culture so if you're a woman and you want to see women shows support shows with mostly women lineups. but don't you feel like women shows come across as being gimmicky Cause it, it's, if it's it is, to how it's packaged. Cause it, it's like absolutely. ovary night on Wednesday, right? Or anything where it's like blatantly trying to sell that this is. There was one show called That Show of the Month. <laughs> the funniest show I ever saw was a uh, bitch better have my funny, and that was a show in Indiana that was an all woman lineup. But I mean, that's a fun for the culture. That's a funny title. That is, but um, but. You know, the show last night wasn't intentionally like, yeah, see, look, we had we book women. It was just like we try to book the funny. Yeah, I didn't even um notice that it was all women until I was there. And I was like, oh, because, you know, also, I don't really know everybody's name. So yeah, right, I, right. there's some people's oh, names that I'm just Dane like. Oh, could have been a, yeah, 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 been a like, white dude. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, it was it was it was what it should be about, man. It should be, you know, it like I say, man, being that, in that position. Where everybody's like, yo, I want to do the show on the Hannibal. And then all of a sudden, it's not on the Hannibal. There was people rooting for us to fail. There were a lot of people who were cool. It was, you know, the thing about it is, and it's for anything that applies to your life. Like, if you take over something for somebody that people like or people love, you know, if you if it goes well, then people will give the credit to the person before you. If it goes bad, then you'll get all the blame for it. How long has it been that you guys take o- took over? Yeah, September was three years. We've been wow. running the show. Three years we've been running it, and uh, at the end of the day, it's Hannibal created the vehicle. Yeah. So he how, get, he just how, gave long, us the how keys, much longer man. do you think you guys are going to do it? Um, it depends on like depends on you know career stuff. Like I've been taking a lot of time away this year just being on the road because I prefer like when it comes to clubs outside of Carolines, I prefer to go out on the road mm-hmm. and work those the the many things that go along with being a New York comic and working in New York clubs at times can be a bit much Yeah, for me. And it's like, um, you know, I can't, I come from Chicago where I, I went through that going through yeah, the political yeah. part and trying mm-hmm. to get in here, get in here. I just don't want to, if you think I'm funny, cool. If not, you know, hard feelings. Yeah. I'll just go where I'm appreciated. Okay. Cool. You know? All right. Let's get into your social media post. Social media post. Do let's, I read it or you, you read, read it? it? You read your post. Thank you for uh, having never listened to an episode before. I uh, I didn't know. No, I didn't know fine. you. I know you were out of town. It's, so it's okay. I, I didn't know. Were you doing it in LA too? I was doing it in LA. Don't act like you knew what the fuck this podcast was until I asked you to do it. Like, I didn't. I knew ago. you did one. Yeah, you a journalist. Right. Of course you got podcasts. Yeah. As president of Brooklyn, I promised to widen the aisles in every bodega. The path to Kimwa should be a two way street. I'm running for president because I didn't know. I used to think it was mayor. Can you read it again? As president of Brooklyn, I promise to widen the aisles in every bodega. The path to quinoa 
should be a two-way street. I live in... Not Cabo Hill. You live in Bushwick. I don't live in Bushwick anymore. Oh, you moved? I moved to Clinton Hill. Oh, nigga, you got money? That's not what we're talking Ooh, about right you now. Got money. That's not what we're discussing at this point. You got money. My favorite Who bodega is Mr. Coco. Who you sleeping <laughs> with that you and Clinton? Mr. Coco is the engineering. Don't ignore the The question. engineering in every bodega in these nice neighborhoods are trash. Who like you cannot get you past one person. Who sleeping with to be Why I gotta be sleeping with? That is a stereotype. You, because I know how much rent is in Clinton Hill, and Dick I know where you would pay more rent. <laughs> <laughs> you was living in a every commune, my nigga, in Bushwick. I live with, in the co-ops in the Clinton Hill. Co-ops. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, who you living with? Uh, shout out to the Five Spot. Freddie Sheffield runs a great room every Don't Friday. Don't trying to deflect. Right around the corner. Who are you? Right who are you shacking up? With? Is Clinton Hill nice? Clinton Hill is a nice area, but it's also you know expensive. Is it? Man, I don't have no oh, idea. Oh, you don't, because you ain't paying no motherfucking rent. <laughs> I don't know how much it costs to live How long there. you been shacking up in, in Why Clinton Hill? Why can't you be shacking up? Because you come from a place where it was like mad at y'all and like a dingy, so bushy, lofty, yeah, drafty, it, air mattressy It was it was, mad, it was wild, dirty, and I couldn't do that anymore. It was depressing me. So I how, did it for my health. How I had to long? Move. How long you been in Clinton up? Hill? Well, I gotta be shacking. Or maybe I got my own money, nigga. Yeah, nah, maybe I inherited a a, a co op. Nope. No, uh, I've been over in Clinton Hill maybe a couple months. Oh wow! So yeah, how long you been together with this person? Who, oh my god! Who you Why got? I gotta be with somebody? Because you with somebody. I just had to get out of Bushwick. I was homeless. I was homeless for a few days. A few days. Yeah. What do you mean? I didn't have a place to go. But you had a place. To go. So, so none of y'all living at. So they live there. I couldn't be there anymore. Okay. I had to get out of there, and I had sublet, but then I really couldn't go back because I didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. I didn't have money, and it's very expensive to live in New York. So I just had to. Um, I was seeing somebody and. We uh, it was gonna be a temporary thing, but then the relationship started working out. So we live together. Okay. We cohabitate. Okay. So how long you been together? A couple months. It went real fast, nigga. It's called. <laughs> I wish y'all could see Chloe's face right there. <laughs> it went real fast. Uh, it's called shelter, my nigga. No, I wish the timing didn't happen like that, because then it could be like, oh, you just need something like that. No, but we really have been doing well. Mm-hmm. Like real well, it just so happened that at the time that I moved in, I did not want to live in Bushwick anymore. Get it? I had planned to go back to Chicago actually for a while. Yeah, like I was telling people like I'm out of here because I, I was tired of it, man. I was tired. I was tired of just like Bushwick is not the place. Bushwick is where you go to struggle. Bushwick and... is so is so. And the first year, no, first two years I lived there, I lived in the basement with no windows. Which is not good for your heart or your mind because and you have health issues. I'm I'm diabetic. Yeah. So my room was far from the bathroom, and like you're not supposed to just wake up to an alarm. That's bad for your heart. Oh really? You need the sunlight because mm. that the serotonin. That, the, the yeah, it helps to let you know that it's time to wake up. Yeah. To only wake up to the sound of an alarm clock going off. 
It's premature. It's premature, and it it, it startles yeah, you know, it does. Your, your heartbeat. So you you need that's that's why it's against the law oh, to yeah, not to have, have windows. windows. Well, in then your you should have called the cops. I didn't know that until I was like, man, why am I so fucked up all the time? And I got the EKG, and you know, black dudes got always had their heart checked and stuff like that, and. Uh, I looked it up and they were like, yeah, you're not supposed to just have an alarm clock as the thing that wakes you up because you're supposed to gradually ease out of slumber. Well, let me tell you something. I set an alarm every morning with music in it. Um, I actually prefer this artist named Alex Isley. She is the niece of Ron Isley. Oh, um, nice. And um, she has a great voice along the lines of like Daniel Caesar and her, you know, like that mel- okay. melodic, you know, fairy dust type of voice and that way she me like up. layla hathaway no she has a higher she has a higher okay. um, higher voice than her. layla got that yeah that's layla got that deep 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 <laughs> lovely um so i wake up to her song um called inevitable it's a great melodic song actually i'll play it um but it's a great melodic song and um and then i'll sing along to it while i'm halfway asleep and i turn it off and then I'll fall back to sleep. Mm. And, and then I'll wake up like an hour. Yeah. But yeah. I, it's not good because I want to get up and start my day. Like my intention was to be up this morning at 9 a.m. And I woke up at 11. I woke up at 8.30. Went back to sleep. Woke up at 10.57. Still hadn't eaten. I got to eat every morning as a part of my routine. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like. It, that wasn't the reason why I was late. I was eating mad slow because I just wanted to oh, yeah. enjoy my no, breakfast. No, it's fine. No, it was no no rush. And, uh, but I'm trying to get up. I'm trying to get up and I want to do mad stuff before 11 a.m. Like in, in a perfect yeah. world, I will wake up. I will like make something like I'll have my like my morning lemon water because, you know, I do lemon water every okay. morning. It helps flush out your system and gets rid of like mucus and stuff. Seltzer too? Um, no, no seltzer. Okay. I don't do seltzer. Just, just warm water with lemon, fresh, fresh squeezed lemon in it. Then, um, I'll do that. And then I want to walk my dog, come back, go work out, come back, eat, shower, dress, and then start my day. Like that's yeah. how I would like, but it don't never happen like that. By the way, that's the dog snoring. That is not me. I'm oh, not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we talking familiar. about sleep. Yeah. It feels, it's something, like when you get, even from a, as you're from journalists, mm-hmm. you know, come from that that world. Like it, it, it be things I want to pump out. Like I want to, I want to do a blog. Or I want to do a post, and it's just like you want to get it done before. Like if I don't get it done before twelve, I'm like I ain't doing this shit because I I missed the whole day. Yeah. So this is one blog I've been trying to post. I ain't gonna say what it is yet, but it's like I keep not getting up early enough to to push it out, and then I just I've been pushing it away for like a week. It's not a time-based one, so I'll still have time, but it's just like, yeah, man, you just feel so much better about, even comedically, like, thinking about bits. If you're up early in a part of the day, like, you know, you just feel more like like you took advantage of. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Uh, I think it's hilarious that in your social media post, you call yourself the mayor of Brooklyn and you was getting ready to move. I was, like a good president, man. I was unsure of myself before I did it. Yeah, man, I would. I, I feel like the fact that I'm still here, I felt. I feel like that was like a, a rite of passage, you know, like as a transplant, that to survive, wanting to leave and being sure that you're gonna leave, like you're out of here next week. Mm-hmm. I'm done, guys. Hey, I told. I mean, yeah, because everybody was telling me for like since I came back from LA, everybody was like, not everybody, but whenever 
you would get mentioned they'd be like yeah no he's moving he's moving back to chicago and i was like really yeah you like was I, tell, you was doing an award tour you i was told Derek Gaines, which is like, like telling everybody, everybody. yeah I, I ran into him at a coffee shop over in bushwick and uh you know the times are different also like you don't have to be in new york or la if you pop in you know i ain't saying i'm not popping but i do kind of know how it works you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like it, you know. My biggest thing was like, if I left New York, I wouldn't get those random emails like, "Hey, can you, you know, come work on this pilot for a week?" Different shit like that 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 requires you to be there in a couple of days. Uh, like even you, you know, the old phrase, "book a trip, book a gig." Uh huh. So like, even when I was going to L.A., I had planned a trip to L.A. for a week and. The day I was supposed to leave, like, oh, can you come Comedy Central? Like, oh, can you come do work on this pilot? I'm just like, fuck. That's just that's just how this shit goes all yeah. the time. Yeah. Until you can determine, you know, until people work around your schedule. I took the trip to L.A. because I wanted to go to L.A. Yeah. And, uh, I had to miss out on that. So. Yeah, but if they called you once, they'll call you again. Yeah, I mean, if and especially if you told them, "Hey, I'm going to LA," they will kind of respect it because they, they gotta respect because they want to know that you are working and being busy. Yeah, but you are from Chicago, so when you came to New York, how was the like living in Bushwick with all like that's where all the white people go, Bushwick. Yeah, it's the open mic for Williamsburg. It's not quite <laughs> ready when you not don't quite got that money. Um, it was different. Here's the thing: Chicago segregated comedically, so like. The South Side is black shows. White side is uh, North Side, and uh, essentially living in Bushwick was just the North Side scene. So, like in Chicago, I would do a spot at Jokes and Notes, which is all black. It was all black. Was I'm all sorry, black. owned by a black woman. I do a spot there, then I go up north, and I'll have cover both sides in one night. Mm-hmm. But like with um, Bushwick, it was just that North Side feel. So, like, I was like, all right, well, fuck it. Maybe I'll do some, uh, I go to Harlem or something like that. I go to um, I go to the Bronx or whatever Ugh, just to get that feeling. Bronx. I go to Expressions, you know, just to get oh, and yeah. do Dale Harrison room. Yeah. Just so, but it, I was just like, this ain't really worth it to me. Because I went to Mocha's four weeks in a row. Mm. Bad respect to Smokey Suarez. I went four weeks in a row. First three weeks, I didn't go up. Fourth week, I think it was a guest host, and he gave me such a bad intro. Like, I don't, it was one of those where, like, I don't want to mess up my reputation by saying you're going to enjoy the next comedian because he didn't know who I was. And it was just like, again, I've been through this. I've been through this. Niggas haze, and I just didn't. And it's like, I was thinking about the payoff of that. Like, are these niggas going to let me surpass them in their own territory? No. No. So but, like, that's, but that's what you got to realize. I think a lot of times you got to realize that. And I think um, so. Let me say, start by saying when I was in L.A., I was looking on social media and I kept seeing all of these pictures of new black faces, comics in New York City. And I'm mm. like, well, what's going on? I've been out here and they seem like a shit ton of comics and moved there or just started getting up or going to different rooms. And that's not the way it was for a while in New York City to have comics coming from out of town, moving Getting, to New York and okay. going immediately to, you know, 
the altish room scene okay you know they was going to the mochas they was going to the black right. rooms they was going to essence and all that stuff but to see uh brown faces coming here and immediately be at the net immediately be at you know ucb yeah. was kind of refreshing and then made me think oh okay well this is a new crop or a different crop of comics you know mm-hmm. and a lot of times i think black folks felt like well i gotta get in good with the black rooms but, yeah you know it but it's it's a bottleneck because those comics at the top are still there they're not leaving they're still hosting yeah the rooms yeah and these are like i think about, i always look at like a little row right mm-hmm. little row's the first person milton little row howry was the first <laughs> <Damn>. person <laughs> to ever bring me up on stage mm. at the open mic at jokes and notes in chicago and i think about people think about his the amazing crazy 2017 he had yeah but like yo Lil Ro honestly was the funniest nigga in the country for at least six or seven years mm-hmm. I'm talking about where he like ain't nobody else for me to go through yeah as far as on a circuit mm-hmm. like he headlined everywhere but he still had to wait yeah so like I'm looking at that and I'm looking like um, amongst the the crowd if I'm at a mocha's or something like that I'm like I'm going to have a different perspective and I'm going to get laughs, but I ain't about to surpass Smokey up here. Yeah. You know it, what I mean? Because also when it's when it comes to the black rooms, the people are there for the host. People are it's there for their the host. Room. It's their room. And you are a guest. And I'm a guest and I'm also like, this is what's so crazy about, and I know this ain't a, a comedy podcast, but like the way that, it, like first of all, black people haze. Second, we are... Uh, it, I used to I used to get a lot of shit from like a lot of black comics when I first started because I was they was you know because I was doing something different and getting laughs like I would think that would be cool like yo I ain't doing none of your baby mother drug mm-hmm. shit I ain't doing none I ain't stepping on none of your material yeah. I started talking about being a teacher and like shit like that and motherfuckers was getting mad because it kind of took the crowd's mind in a different direction. So when they come back up with the bullshit Kool-Aid Roach jokes. It's like, we we know that you could joke about other things. Yeah. It's almost a comfort. Like we like I was saying before, the, it's a comfort a crowd has. Like, oh, we had a black comedy show. Let's get our mind ready for certain things that's going to yeah. be joked about being broke. Blah, blah, blah. But then a nigga get up there and actually, when it was bombing, everybody was cool with me. <laughs> When it wasn't working, everybody's like, ah, don't worry about it, man. And yeah. they go up and they clean up. But, like, when it started working is when motherfuckers was, like, kind of giving me the side eye a little bit. And it was, uh, and I just didn't want to go through that again, man, because that was a tough thing to go through. It made me a stronger comic. But, you know, like, I just I just didn't want to do that, man. No, that's fair. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I've been through that once. And it's just like with anything, if, if it's a white duty man funny, if you're Gary Owen and you can make black crowds laugh, shit, go do it and be and stand out because you can move up the thing. It's like with a lot of these rooms I go to, if I'm black and I can perform there, it's gotten me a lot of gigs. Oh, yeah. That's you know true. what I mean? Because they like, yo, well, yeah, go go where you're a, uh, where you're the rarity. Mm-hmm. Don't do don't be a hack, but, you know, be funny. But like, yeah, go where you're not where you, it's not that many of you. Yeah. You know? So now you are a gentrifier because I am. I you is. went to uh you came from Chicago, moved to Bushwick, and now you've uh relocated yourself to Clinton Hill. Clinton Hill. Which is a upwardly mobile What up Myrtle? 
Um, what up, murder ass? It's very diverse. It's very. It's a big family neighborhood. There's a lot of like it strollers is. and little karate it's, storefronts. It's and, right by the St. Joseph's College. And um, Pratt. Pratt, Pratt is right there. But to be fair, Myrtle Avenue is always going to be Myrtle. I think. No, it's not. First of all, I grew up here and Myrtle Avenue was not what it is now. I Myrtle know it's Avenue not. has a Starbucks but and there's, fucking Chipotle. Is, is there a neighborhood? Oh, so you know the neighborhood. Me. I know the neighborhood. I know exactly <laughs> that neighborhood. I used to go to school All the over banks there. and all the all Thai the places. Banks. Yeah, all this. First of all, there's like, there's like 17 Thai restaurants There's so many Thai restaurants. two blocks. There's a crystal place. I got my crystals from there. Oh, there's a crystal place now? Yeah, Pyrite. It's Pyrite. But all the... um. Wait, what crystals did you buy? I bought a pyrite crystal. Okay. Yeah. Only one? I just bought one crystal. I charge it in the sun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, he didn't even know what it meant. You know, it was like, oh, get rid of negative energy. We both in the book, like, what the fuck is a pyrite? So So that's the one you you went there searching for it, or you went there and and you just was interested i just in liked it. how it looked because it looks like gold yeah yeah. like it looks like um, yeah yeah i know i have yeah. one over there oh yeah so yeah it, it looked like gold so i like i like the look of it that's what they tell you to do when you're when you're um looking for um when you're looking for crystals is to go in and let it speak to you yeah so you just walk around and you know they tell you to take if they if they know what they're doing they say you know just let us know when you're ready and you walk around and then you stop and feel something and they tell you you know you should pick it up and hold it if you like something pick it up and hold it and see how you feel and keep looking around and if you feel see like it, warmth yeah. or energy or something in your hand then that might be what's what's called to you i'm very into crystals if you haven't noticed. I, I didn't even notice the yeah. cr- I, as i look to my right now i see them yeah, the the pyrite. I like the pink one. I'm not sure. Yeah, what that that's is. rose quartz. That looks that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have that, or else I would have got that. But the pyrite called me. I think the dude was like covering somebody's shift or something. <laughs> he was like reading a book at the uh, cash register, and uh, I asked him what it meant, and we both had to look. I, I said, "What's the Wikipedia. name of the crystal place?" Oh, I don't know, but it's on Myrtle, right by the Dominoes. They always gets robbed. Mm-hmm. That's what there. I'm saying. Neighborhoods, you got the you got the Domino that's always getting robbed right now. Domino's next to a always getting place. robbed. The T-Mobile, all the all the phone stores still get hit up mm. from because from the, the projects is right the there. Four, that's the biggest projects in Brooklyn. I didn't know that. Yeah, Four Green Projects is still there. I went over to actually went to Clinton the Park, Clinton Hill, which is on the other side of the projects. But um, people. People stop being goofies. I understand that the neighborhood is gentrified. It was a dude. It was like seven o'clock at night. He walking with his laptop out on the project side, Mm-mm. not on the she's got to yeah. have it side. Yeah, on the <laughs> yeah, not on the farmers market side. Yeah. On the project side, and like I'm like, man, like don't do that. Don't be don't be dumb. Don't do that anywhere. Here. Don't like, do that anywhere. The, nice. It's like you tempt, it's like you tempt in a line with a steak. Yeah. Nice MacBook Air or whatever he had. And he just <laughs> So yeah. This is for the listeners. Don't be a goofy, man. You know? Um I don't I feel like we're even past the point of having a conversation about gentrification. I think that's just what it is. You know what I mean? It's not mm. a thing anymore. It's just neighborhoods are being uh being diversified economically it is unfair to the lower income people and i think it's interesting now because all the the first wave of gentrifiers that have come into these neighborhoods are now feeling the the crunch of the more 
um, economically sound people moving in. So it's like, yeah. So you, so you see shit like a white person be like, I've been here for seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You oh, just do you got see here. what's going on? They built um, another bagel place. Yeah, like, like yeah. You well, were here for the first one. Yeah, <laughs> they built the first one because of you. So I don't know, especially with the L train shutting down. What you think? How you think that's going to affect things? Oh, the L train is shut. Okay, so in New York City, um, for all of my international national, yeah, listeners, what's all up, ten uh, of you. Bahama um, Island? No, <laughs> <laughs> what up, QSC, Jamaica, Saint um, Petersburg? So the L train is is so in New York City we have letter and number trains. So the L train runs from, um deep into Bro- deep brooklyn all yeah. the way like the east end of new york east yeah. new york that's yeah. way way that that shit has not been gentrified east N- new york Canarsie is, is un it's uh unchangeable it's unchangeable it's impervious to gentrification yeah, 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 yeah. so so east east flatbush and Canarsie are, is a very uh west indian population like all west indian bobby schmerda yeah yeah and that's when the numbers are like the east 90s whatever so mm-hmm. all of that shit is West Indian Caribbean. And then it goes all the way from there, all the way from the Caribbean, all the way to 14th Street in Manhattan. All the way west. All so the way like, west. All the way to the West Side Highway. Yeah, yep. Essentially, Ninth Avenue, mm-hmm. Eighth Avenue. So it's a good stretch. And they're shutting it down because it was, uh, dist- had some, yeah, not just, it wasn't destroyed, but it definitely had taken some hits during Hurricane Sandy with a tunnel. They never come. It never got completely it, it, repaired. Yeah, it never got. So now they have to shut down the train altogether for how long? Like two years? I think it's two years. In twenty nineteen, they're taking twenty. I think in end of this end of twenty eighteen. Oh, so the end of twenty eighteen, they're shutting it down for two years, and all these people who moved to Williamsburg, Bushwick. Uh, bed star yeah because yeah. like i can just take the l train and be in the city in 15 20 minutes in a nice you know part of the city where it's reachable to get to but uh, think about know, it is is that yeah. the parts that the l train go to in brooklyn there's no other train there's no other tra- essentially for all the international listeners <laughs> if you were an immigrant coming from ireland to italy mm-hmm. and they shut down the boat to ellis island that is exactly what the L train is <laughs> for Brooklyn gentrifiers. It's the only yep. way to get to the promised land in the uh, in Manhattan or into the city, yep. as natives call it. So they in the M train can, but it's like it's very picky of when it wants to run. Yeah, I don't even know how they're going to replace the L train service. I mean buses, because I mean I'm, oh, I'm nobody from New York. Wants that. Nobody wants buses, and people gonna get people go people gonna really get their feelings hurt because it's one thing to be on a crowded train, and it's another thing to be on a crowded shuttle bus. Yeah, because you know that shuttle bus is you have to get on that bus at that certain time. There's no like waiting. There's no mm. multiple cars. It's one bus, and they'll probably run a shit ton of buses because when they did construction on Williamsburg Bridge, this is when I lived in Williamsburg and i live right the first stop into brooklyn and they shut trains down on the bridge because they, they the williamsburg bridge the williamsburg bridge okay. many years ago they they widened the bridge it was really narrow they widened the bridge so oh, there was no trains okay. and we had to take buses and they just we just would be on the bus all fucking day long. i can't imagine less seats and Let's slower see. travel. Oh, and you got to deal with old people in <laughs> their cars. You got to, you got, you got to imagine old people with their cars, women with their strollers, dudes with their skateboards, people with their bikes, everybody with their attitude, everybody <laughs> with attitude on a shuttle bus. It's gonna be fights. It's gonna be fights. It's gonna be crimes. Yeah. 
there's gonna be a bunch of shit but the thing is those people are not gonna move nobody's gonna move by the end of 2018 because they know the l train's fucked no. up i also don't, i also don't think that a lot of the gentrifiers realize how hard it's gonna be like is this something that people say in theory like oh wow the train's gonna stop it's gonna be kind of it's gonna be fucked up no it's gonna be no, fucked it's up gonna be, like the the uber prices are gonna surge yeah uh, ridiculously lyft is gonna be uh too expensive they're, but they're gonna clean up being an uber driver in at the end of next year is gonna be very profitable well now you saw i saw this thing where they somebody some tech person or white company was trying to do <laughs> um, a carpool van aka a dot like so in brooklyn the, yeah dollar vans yeah so in all the parts we were talking about like canarsie and east flashbush east flatbush and crown heights and stuff like that they have these shuttle buses for these neighborhoods that aren't close to the trains or the mm-hmm. buses and so what you would do is you take the bus or the, no, you take the train to a stop right like a major stop and you get off and it's all of these dollar vans that take you specifically to like your neighborhood right and they're all west indian owned and they're the most dangerous things are like, they dangerous all, well when i was growing up they were dangerous because the drivers it, imagine if you have you ever been to the caribbean have you ever been to like no, an island okay i've Crown Heights is the closest I've been okay. to. Okay, so like when you go to, I mean, so they're island people, so they're driving like they would be driving on an island. So it's like skirt, 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 yeah, switching lanes, no signal. They're blasting music, you know. They, you know, no customer service, no customer service. Where's your dollar? So you get in, you you get in, you get a seat. It's like a sixteen passenger van. Okay, right, yeah. And then when you you have to yell out your stop, next stop, mm-hmm. next street. And then you yell it out and they just open the door. And whoever's sitting by the door is the one that's opening the door. Because it's not an automatic door. So if you get stuck with that seat, you just open the door for people. You're just a part of the operation. Part of the operation. And then you give them your dollar and you get off. And so I think now it might be like $2. The city tried to crack down on it even though they realized that this was a need because they don't have transportation. Well, well, that's going to be gentrified. Well, yeah. So now this new thing. They're going to do that. Now this new thing. Somebody was like, yeah, we're doing carpool vans. And everybody was like, that's a dollar van. That's the dollar dollar van, van. but it's regulated. If you're smart. You should be, you know, getting some sixteen passenger vans, Get getting 16. ready for the end of the for the shutdown of the L train, and make some guap. And you could charge five dollars a head, easy. No, white people ain't gonna pay five dollars a head. They, if you make it expensive enough, they'll buy in. If well, you make it fifteen dollars, you realize that white people don't white people don't work with money. Black people work with money because you talking so, like cash, cash. Yeah. So white people aren't gonna give you. They'll do an app. They'll put their credit card into an app before they give you $5. True, true. So whoever does the shuttle, you know, hookup for that L train service, you better build your app now. Yo, you can get like, because you know they got the swipe that you can put in the phones. Maybe if you put like a swipe in the the vehicle and it just take $5. Yeah. For you to get on, but I think there is, I think there is an Uber service or something like that where it is like a pickup drop off van thing because I've seen it on the Upper East Side. They had that Upper yeah. West Side, and I've seen because I've seen like people get out of like those, you know, those like those European style vans. You know what I mean, like the one that slopes down in the front. It's not like no, a those six, Mercedes. Yeah, like those. The, the shit Tracy Morgan was in. Well, not like that, but like that. Yeah, like the Sprinters. They call Sprinters. Okay, yeah, so yeah. So it'll yeah. be like a Sprinter van, and people, two people get out, and I'll see like a person like wave their hand, and they'll get in. So I'm like, oh, I guess this Yo, is a. Yo, if you got to look on one of those vans, you might be straight because like that's luxury. Yeah, and that's what essentially what you're paying for, even for the car service, like that feeling of having somebody come pick you up. 
But the thing that kills me is like when we're talking about this need for transportation, there was a time when people like even when you go overseas to Europe, people really don't commute that far for work. We commute really far people for do. work. It, yeah. I because mean, if you go to Italy, like I was in Italy and they Italy. still have siesta, like they still shut What's down. That? They shut down every day uh-huh. from one to three. Okay. For lunch and nap and whatever the fuck they want to do. Businesses shut down because everybody works close enough to home where they just go back home and they have a fucking huge ass lunch and they'll sleep and relax and go back to work. But they also work a longer day. And so, but they're just happy. They're also happier. So they'll start work at like nine, like probably like nine. And then they have siesta for two hours. That's shut what I, down. And then they go back to work. And then they have dinner at like 9, 10 o'clock at night. That's what I read about. Like Greece is one of the poorest areas in the world. But they're also one of the happiest. Yeah. Because the, the Greek economy has been shitty for years. Long time. But they're one of the happiest countries mm-hmm. in the world. It's almost like, you know, like here people work around. It's like a Google is a great place to work and it's fun, but they literally set it up. So you really never leave the office Yeah, between video games and nap rooms mm-hmm. and uh, free food. Like they, if they could have you there all the time, yeah, they'll do that. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So that's like, there's no escaping the, the, the evils of capitalism. If you're a profitable company, you just try to work your way with living with it. Well, I do think that we're at a pivotal moment in this country where you will have people bucking the system of capitalism because capitalism is what's gotten us into this shithole of a mess we have right now. Yeah. The American the American ideology of like working hard and making money is obsolete because it doesn't apply anymore. Now, you know, you have this tax bill, which is, you know, being pushed through and is going to make the richest people rich like the fact that they scribbled in shit that specifically benefited the colleges of like betsy devos who who was a big benefactor like like shit like that like you know how do you go in and say we're making a tax bill but then we're going to put the stipulation that this particular college will get a bigger cutback like what like y'all it clearly it's all cronyism and when the yeah when the white working class or the white class period finds out that they've been duped you know like us as comedians we're independent contractors we work for ourselves essentially and now under this tax bill we won't be able to write off any expenses like any like people in general people entrepreneurs no no write-offs in general you will not be able to like they're taking back the adoption credit like if you adopt a child as it stands right now you get a tax credit Mm -hmm. they're taking that away so why would so why would somebody be incentivized to adopt a child? I mean, I get it. If you want to adopt a child, you will. But of course, that you know, it should be a part of it. It should be a part of it. So they're doing all of this shit that's going to really tax ninety nine percent of the people in this country. And I just wish more folks were smart enough to realize it. But you know, people are dumb, and we are creatures of habit, and we like to stick within our circles of information. And if you don't break from that, you'll never know the truth. Like one problem that I have, which is why I end up waking up later than I want to, is because I'll go to bed and I'll lay in the bed mm-hmm. and then I'll be on my phone. Yeah. And I'll just start searching. What do you what should go to? there's a couple accounts that I like if I hadn't been watching the news, I don't really watch news on TV cause I don't, I just have like a fire stick and Apple TV. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have the luxury of like flipping and watching, but yeah. 
I mean, it's all streaming anyway. It is all streaming. Um, but if I haven't been in tune to what's going on in the news, by the time I go to sleep at night, I look at um this guy on Twitter. His name is Kyle, Kyle Griffin. Hmm. He is a reporter and he normally has like a lot of good scoops about like DC stuff. Um, and then the chick Maggie from the New York Times, Maggie Haberman or something like that. You like, gotta follow my man Jeff Bennett. He uh, just became White House correspondent. Okay, ABC. So morning. I follow Kyle Griffin. One, he's MS, He he's a producer on MSNBC. Is the last word. Mm-hmm. Um, then I look at Joy Joy Reid. Joy Reid. Yes. Um, Cornell West was coming for Tanahasi Colt. Yeah. Now, okay. I used to admire, well, I don't want to say used to. I definitely admire Cornell West. Okay. There was a time in Americana history, black academia, Americana history, that Cornell West and Harry Lewis Gates were the prominent <sighs> voices of intellectualism mm-hmm. and, and higher education. And they both were at the same school for a little bit too. And then they kind of splintered apart. Like they were like, they were like a one-two punch, and then they kind of the Harvard yeah. blacks, yeah. And then um, Henry Louis Gates kind of got like I don't want to say soft, but he changed his direction. I think the whole thing with the fucking beer gate. Remember that the shit? beer gate? But he's uh he's behind the root. Right? Yeah, yeah, he was this behind the root. Not any, not anymore. So Henry Louis Gates used to be Henry Louis Gates was one of the people who started this website called Africana.com. Mm. And Africana.com was an independent website. And then it was um, absorbed by AOL. And I used to write for Africana. And Africana and AOL um, was up for a while. And then it turned into the root. Gotcha. So he's been a part of that from the beginning. I used to have a music column on (laughs) Africana.com many years ago. Okay. So he was more into, he turned more into journalism. And then now he started doing all of this like uh, DNA what's your ancestry sh- ancestry stuff okay. he has a show on pbs where he looks up black people he's a very interesting negro he rides yeah. a tricycle first he of rides all. A tri- he's he's yeah he's a very yeah he's an and yeah and then he got um he got not arrested but questioned by the police when he was trying to get into his own house and then Drink, yeah and then barack, barack got him and the police officer too like that's so crazy how far we've come barack obama heard that a prominent black professor was harassed by the police invited him and the cop to the white house for a beer for a beer and now i'm rose again fired and I'm rosa like, can't even live no, in the airbnb no more yeah. in the white house that's mm, it's mm, who's mm. your favorite black intellectual or academic, academic. You know what? I don't even of all really time. of all shit of all times. Oh, fucking James Baldwin. Ah, okay. Hands what down. a good choice. Okay. Hands fucking down. Let me tell you something. James Baldwin speaks to my heart. Okay. Like I don't really get into, and especially since you know I was in the world of journalism and academia for a while, so I was in the circle of people and you know i was a part of the national association of black journalists i would go to the conventions like orlando all that smarty arty shit Mm -hmm. i was there for it and even when i was there i would still question it because you would see how some people would become like celebrities and you were like but what yo there's no the 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 hub of black sadity is the is black journalists that's so yeah. black you just like the furs and the pretentiousness oh yeah and the know-it-all mm-hmm. like it it even for me it was just like the spongebob meme where you just like uh, <laughs> you're just confused by all these yeah. people everybody knows what they're talking about everybody knows what they're talking everybody's about everybody's more important than they are but y'all but we all know the industry is shitty 
Okay. And we don't make no money. Like, don't, the, it ain't there's no, no money. money. There's no money. Yo, there's no money. I worked at Jet. Yeah. Like, and this is a matter of coming along. Timing is everything. You know, if this was the 70s, 80s, I'm like, yo, I'm at Jet. Yeah. Can't tell me shit. Yeah. I'm writing for them and the money wasn't there. The checks were late. Always. Check with it was just Ebony like, right now. Ebony, there's a hashtag called Ebony O's. Ebony there's, O's. There's a bunch of journalists I, who I are worked money. with the woman who started that. When yeah. she was, we were all at, we were all at the office at JPC. Inside of fact, for those who don't know, Boomerang the movie is based on working at a fashion fair, which was a, a subset of Ebony. Mm-hmm. So that's just how booming it was in the early '90s. When I got there. It wasn't exactly the smartest idea to work at a print company. Yeah. But it's so that, going back to NABJ, that's why it's so weird. It's like, yo, a lot of y'all old motherfuckers are so pretentious and so in Like, your your industry is dead. Mm-hmm. You're not adapting. No. You don't know how to uh, keep it going. Some yeah. have learned that's how like, to. That's like, a Stan, do you know Stanley Crouch? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, if you, okay, look, everybody look up Stanley Crouch. Stanley Crouch very was. Very funny man. Was. Is the shadiest, 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 um, um, journalist, and he will read people for filth, and he was definitely on a high horse, but that's because, (laughs) that's because, also, you got to realize that those early, those early, like, black intellectual journalists, you had to have a certain amount of, like, respect and years in the game to be able to talk shit about other people Mm -hmm. because people respected your work so much that you could be shady to somebody else but and then also we were of the mindset as journalists that you didn't really talk about yourself it wasn't a this this wasn't a self-serving medium Mm. but because of social media now like if without social media people wouldn't even really know who Ta-Nehisi Coates is because of course he had his books and he would have his articles but black folks ain't fucking reading the Atlantic like that. No, them some long ass articles. Even They're I'd be like, reading, god like, damn, you know like, 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 <laughs> like seven pages. So it so he would so he would have it would have been a church choir situation like he would have yeah. been famous and respected within a circle but because people are able to grab posts and links and clips, mm-hmm. take screenshots, he has a bigger reach now and I think a part of it going back to corner I think that's part of what the issue is. It's like Cornell's like, I've been at this shit for fucking 40 plus years. He's a dinosaur. He's a dinosaur. And, and, you know, I've been in the trenches and I'm an activist. And I think a lot of times people, you can't expect a journalist like ta to have the same level of activism as a Cornell West because that's not his path. That's not what he. It's a different time. That's not what he. Let me tell you something right now. I have not been to a single protest in this political climate. Mm. I mean, I protested when I was in high school. I remember in high school, they were trying to cut funding for something and we like all the kids in school walked out. I, I did that. Yeah. But today, I'm not going out in these streets. I mean, I will. Let me let me rephrase that. I definitely will go out in these streets. But it's not, it would have to, I would have to be moved to a certain point. And I get it. The Women's March. I get it. All of that stuff. You fuck with it? I didn't. I mean, I wasn't even here. I oh, yeah. You were across the country. So, yeah. so for me, it's like a lot of stuff that yeah i am angry and i speak out mm-hmm. i incorporate it in my my artwork i talk about it on stage i talk about things that i feel like are important but this idea of just being out in the street especially when you have a platform it's better to use your platform so right cornell going on the fucking remember when him and Tavis smiley went on that motherfucking oh, yeah. uh, poor people's An- tour and the a- anti-obama coalition yeah yeah, yeah. Here's, here's the thing just like bringing it all together. Number one, if James Baldwin was around for Twitter, he would 
be the most retweeted person yeah probably in the country but also you got to realize when i say about the platform is that james baldwin's work spoke for decades like it's still it still relates to be black and to be conscious is yeah. to be constantly in a state of uh just frustration so so, so yeah. for me i think at certain times like Cornell can't Cornell shouldn't be mad at Tanahasi for not being a, a, a in the street in your face get arrested poor people marching activists that's just not you know what it is it's like uh oh the for, argument was like his basically they were saying that Tanahasi is too simplistic in his in his breakdowns of shit and that's like because he's appealing to a fucking larger audience that's a and that's a petty ass argument to make it's like Cornell's like for the rap fans at one point KRS One used to have a disc record ready for everybody. Yes, he would write whether he had real beef with him or not. Whoever was hot, he would. Ha- he, he wrote one about Nelly just because Nelly was on fire at that time. So in Cornell West, instead of it's a very difficult thing to build the audience when mm-hmm. you're almost eighty years old. Yeah, right. So instead of building the audience, he keeps relevancy by going who after whoever's hot. Yeah, if. Jelani Cobb, who I love, if he wrote a book, he would have just dissed him for something yeah. through a criticism. And because he has that stature and gears in the game, people actually give some weight to it. But he's not saying anything helpful or necessary or thought-provoking. It's just taking shots at the current prince or the current yeah. throne. So I believe it happened because Cornell has a book. He has a book coming out and i think he wrote oh about really him. you and also like, have a, you yeah, know no, what I mean? but he, like he wrote about time yeah. so my thing is like i wouldn't waste my ink on my pages on somebody um else's career unless i felt like they were a true threat to society you know what i mean yeah and ta-nehisi's not a threat to society if anything ta-nehisi's gotten a shit ton of people who would have never been as as uh intellectually intrigued in the things that he writes about and i also noticed that he doesn't in a very and this is the thing he does in a very digestible way which is if you look at some of his articles especially the ones online they're not really that long you know what mm, i mean Especially right. like his per, like his personal first person essay type of things they're not that long they're just but op-eds right? they're op-eds but they but they resonate and you know to be honest, like I always kind of wish that I would, I would have. My goal as a journalist was to be like a Tanahasi, was to get to the point where yeah. my byline was recognized everywhere and people were like longing to read my work. Same. And I think you know, society's changed, and now I could just do it with comedy. But even then, yeah, like your journalistic uh, ambitions, they never really go away. No, which is I, why I started this podcast. Because I was like, is, I yeah. miss interviewing which people. Which is why I started a blog. Yeah. Like, I be interviewing people and, like, I'm actually transcribing. Oh, yeah. I'm transcribing interviews wow. from... He was like, yeah, this is going, like, on the podcast. I'm like, nah, man, I'm going to type out the yeah. interview and edit and all of that just because, shit, that's grad school. That's seven years of my life. Like, you, mm-hmm. your instincts to do that don't go away. So, so yeah, even with comedy, it's the same thing. Like, the reason I got into comedy um, after going to grad school for journalism, one of my professors, a woman named Laura Washington, who writes for the, who wrote for the Chicago Sometimes, still does for a long time, the best compliment, she said, Clark, you have a gift for turning the singular phrase. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that. And, you know, for those not familiar, that just means that when you read an op-ed or you read an article, and they write that one line that kind of is either really funny mm-hmm. or really nails the point. Yeah. 
um, that's the, the the that's turning the singular phrase, and that's really for a comedic set. That's that big punchline. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That really just makes people go laugh and clap at yeah. the same time. So it was. It just it all comes from that. It for me, it all comes from. You know, my sets are stories or articles mm-hmm. that hope that have a central point. And I'm when I write something, that's what the uh that's what the, the it's the same goals I have as when I was writing articles. Yeah. To just have a central point, have a thing I'm trying to get into. And you know, the funnier thing is with difference with writing, I mean telling jokes and, and writing is like your premises in the article, people have a little bit more patience. It still mm-hmm. has to be interesting. But like, you know, on that stand up, you want your premises to be funny too. Yeah. So your punchline, your singular phrase that you turn in can really, really hit or whatever. Yeah. Uh yeah. Oh. Uh those yeah, and yeah, fuck Corner West, man. That dude he, I, Yeah, but I'm trying to think when so when did he become radicalized? <laughs> so him and Travis, who ain't the greatest uh shotgun person riding shotgun with you, they hooked up and they started they when they start going after Obama, it's like easier to be the villain, and it's like it. Obama's job was hard, but he did all the work, and then they were just like, "Well, we'll just criticize him because we can't be better than him." Because see, the thing is, and Tab is fucked up because he Big had time. a point. He there was a time when he was respected. He had a he before he had his before he had the PBS talk show. He had another show. That's how I knew about the BT one. Yes. Okay, so he was on BT. They cut that. They cut that. And then he had a radio show. And mm-hmm. then that kind of disappeared. And then he had his Tara Smiley show on PBS, his interview show on PBS, mm-hmm. which is so funny because I forgot that the shit was on. Because whenever I would see it, it looked like it was an old episode just because the set was so fucking It just old. so basic. Um, no live audience. No live audience. But but he had great guests. He had Prince on there. I remember there was a famous Will Smith quote that came from there. Will Smith. But they did a piss poor job of fucking promoting it. Like all of his all of his interviews, even now, even though that they pulled in a, pull in a show because of like sexual assault allegations, they could still live. It was kind of like... They've um, been one to p- pull that show. It's just like, thank God. I know, I know. Got- yeah. <laughs> so we can finally cancel but, that shit. But they should definitely release like those interviews because there's some really fucking dope ass people that he interviewed. Yeah. But he used to do this thing called State of the Union or something like that. State of the Union. It was like a, a conference that he would do every year. Okay. State of a black black state of the oh, black uh, America Union or some shit like that. Uh, yeah, it, I do remember that. It's hard, man. People get used so get used to being the important, and that's what it is. And like the majority of the country, and I was just thinking about today and how I want to phrase it. Like they want there to be just one voice for. Like I saw the thing even about Tanahasi was like, oh, black Tanahasi is the black voice of progressiveness i'm like there is no one black voice for black people y'all just want to interview one person and i was mad for so many years toure had that title as we need a, the black person's opinion on everybody black let's just get toure in here and i'm like toure is he don't speak for me yeah okay so <laughs> tavis <laughs> Tavis Smiley used to run this annual event called State of the Black Union. The State of the Black Union was an annual event in the United States to consider issues of particular relevance in the African-American community, featuring prominent speakers such as John Conyers, Jesse Jackson, and Al Sharpton. In January 2010, 
uh, coincidentally two years after uh, President Obama was elected. Uh, the founder, Tavis Smiley, announced that he was ending the, the event in honor of producing more programs for PBS. Well, you see how that turned out. Um, Think about the names that was. It was Tavis Smiley, uh, John, John Conyers, Jesse, Jesse Jackson, Jackson, and Al Sharpton. But you also got to realize that that's I mean these are old motherfuckers. That's that's very faulty too. John Conyers. All yeah. these people have had some sort of sexual all harassment or every last one. John Conyers just resigned, and this is funny. John Conyers just resigned from Had his to. seat for sexual sexual assault allegations, and then immediately um, threw his name behind his son, who's twenty seven years old, who literally, literally earlier this year was arrested for domestic violence against his girlfriend and he pulled out a knife on her and you are encouraging this 27 year old you who's know. never held office ever before see the thing about it is people don't understand <laughs> about it. people don't understand that patriarchy is so ingrained in this country that you will co-sign you a person who's been accused of sexual assault will co-sign a 27 year old man your son with no experience as long as there's another man well, as long as there's another man in your in your in your kid i feel like there should be a law where um siblings relatives are not allowed to um what's to call to it endorse? like endorse uh, their own because they really like these senate seats be really going down for, for generation be, to generation yeah. it'd be generational like i don't think i don't think look relatives which is one of my issues with 2016 campaign i just don't think a relative should there should be two relatives president like that that's what they used to do like yeah what are kennedy's the, the roosevelt Ken- well the kennedy's roosevelt's and they those are yeah those are presidential Family. Those are political names. Like they served in different parts, but like one husband and then even Michelle. I'm like, I love Michelle Obama, but she don't need like she's never she, gonna run for she's office. She's never gonna go through that because she because she ain't gonna ha- she don't they did her so fucking dirty. They did her dirty, and I'm sure she was like, damn Barack, I made the right dude because the way that you handle all the she couldn't she couldn't she wouldn't she wouldn't be able to handle all that as gracefully. Just because I, I know that she's from the south side of Chicago. I know that woman. And she would set so many people straight. She was super smart. And he said it in interviews. He was like, Michelle is the smartest woman that I know. She was his boss. She was his boss. So yeah. so you go from that. And she just did simple shit. Like, she just wanted Nick like kids to have fucking fresh vegetables and fruit. And people And lost. people was like, who's this monkey bitch this trying to get bitch. my kid to eat an apple? This like, I remember ass. one time I was on the road and I turned on TV and I just was like, just let, let me, this is way before this fucking president. And I was like, let me just see what Fox News is talking about. And I just happened to turn it on and they were talking about Michelle Obama's um, food food plan for healthy, healthy get it, eating yeah, get active and they were like who does she think i'm a parent i know what's best for and i was like y'all really arguing but that goes to show you just how racist this country is and we just hide it behind freedom of speech and rights you know and that's not what it is like Anything, you yeah. it's like if i was a person handing your kid an apple or or a candy bar on the street you'd be like take the fucking apple you know what i mean but when a black woman says it yeah. and tries to make it seem like we're enacting this as like a plan of action, who is this woman? To tell me what to do. But what was so crazy is, and I don't know how they pulled this off. There was no hypocrisy in it. So then they were like, well, "What about your kids? Oh, one of them's going to Harvard, and the other one is 
also doing great. It's like, but she, uh, like the Bush daughters, uh, fucking. I mean, Chelsea was a nerd, but like, yeah, the Bush could, daughters. One, the Bush daughters, the twins. One of them got arrested, like was drunk or some shit like that. First of all, they went to the University of Texas, so you know they was getting into shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. Even the thing with when she was smoke car smoking weed, one of the Obama daughters or something like that. It was just like. They were searching for yeah. anything. And it's really unbelievable that there was no smoking gun, you yeah. know, be- because they also weren't doing anything that was crazy. And even your point earlier about like capitalism and things like that, this is how I see it. So, what we do is capitalism is like a disease to me, this is my opinion, mm-hmm. that comes back stronger each time. So, like, even with Nixon and all of that, people tried to fix it a little bit with Jimmy Carter. And then he came back stronger with Reagan. Mm-hmm. Reaganomics, fucking um, crack, yeah. all of that. The war on drugs. War on drugs. But, you know, motherfuckers got, got used to it because the rich got richer with that trickle-down bullshit. My thing about the rich getting richer is, like, all these people all doing all they're doing all of this stuff all of these big companies and these big families with all of these all these millions of dollars and billions of dollars are paying lobbyists to pay politicians to vote in their interest so they will have to pay less taxes which will in effect fuck up the rest of the 99 percent of this country and it's funny because the politicians are not a part of that one percent even though they think they are because like when the push comes to show they get a little kickback but to at what cost so if you're cutting if you're cutting health insurance if you're cutting if you're if you're cutting health insurance and you're increasing taxes on the working class they won't be able to survive they won't be able to get their medicine like i just heard a story about this guy who died because he didn't have his fucking inhaler because it wasn't covered by his insurance anymore so like when you have all that happen and you have you're gonna have a you're gonna have a mass number of people who are dying in this country who are suffering from unemployment who are suffering from famine because Mm -hmm. that's what's gonna happen so who who are you been who like who are you gonna stand on whose backs are you gonna stand on because those people that are on the lowest third of the country are going to be at risk. Well, two things. Number one, the hypocrisy of John McCain trying to cut a bill that would aid cancer uh, patients mm-hmm. when he himself is a cancer patient. Nigga is wheeling it out of D.C. as we speak. That Like, how do you even say, how do you even, like, where's the, there's some point where you're in chemotherapy where you should be humbled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And say, wow, this is horrible. Anybody who has to go through this should not have to go through this. But not him. He's like, nope, nobody. Like, so you can get the cheapest or you'll die, right? So there's some, there has to be some sort of kickback for you to work with these lobbyists. They get the money for the campaign and they, you know, misappropriate the funds and it funnels into their bank account some kind of way. But the thing is, it's all, but it's all for money you know what i mean it's all, of all it. for money all and of i it. think my i guess what i'm trying to say is like what is the point of doing all of this hooking and crooking and wheeling and dealing for money when i love that phrase when <laughs> hooking and crooking is one of my favorite <laughs> <phrases>. <laughs> when you are going to be at a loss you know what i'm saying like what's the point of having all this money when the economy is going to go to shit when there's not going to be a working class when we're not going to have the food and the drugs that we need to keep people alive and help people flourish? like like what is the purpose of sitting in a gilded house when everything is burning outside well there's this for the history majors out there there's the uh idea of manifest destiny and the the the, the strongest will survive yeah but these old motherfuckers are not the strong like physically they're but not they the really strongest. feel like you know if i cheat my way to get it then it was meant for me to get it 
Mm-hmm. That's what sued their consciousness for the Oregon Trail to kill all these Native Americans mm-hmm. because God wants me to. Yeah, you gotta kill gay people, even though I sleep with men. Let's kill pedophiles, even though I'm a uh, I'm a child abuser. All these things I don't really understand. There, there is no way to understand it from our perspective. I know there is really there's no explanation for for the actions of even the dude who killed himself. The the dude. the Kentucky the Kentucky lawmaker. Kentucky so okay, so this is the funny yo. Himself. I was rolling. So this Kentucky lawmaker was accused of raping a seventeen year girl in twenty twelve. Yeah. Twenty twelve. He was accused of raping a girl in twenty twelve. And so they did an investigation. And when they first, you know, when they first came news that hey, we're looking into the story that you raped the seventeen year old girl. He had a press conference. He was in church. He was in church giving a statement. He goes into a spiritual hymn talking about mm, 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 Jesus mm. gonna make a way. I know I'm saved. I'm saved and sanctified. I ain't I ain't do nothing. And then when that motherfucking investigative piece came out, which is why journalism is very important. Journalism is very important, y'all. If you it's, can it's, donate. Yeah subscribe to your local newspaper or something because we we be and i'm saying we we be doing the work that, to uncover it, it is. the shady yeah. shit that helped give us some fucking hope for a future and when that story came out that he raped this 17 year old girl he shot and killed himself now you know ain't no way if you a christian you committing suicide it's not a part of the deal it's one of the deadly sins it's the unforgivable one. Unforgivable one. So you kill yourself, and then clearly that means you was guilty as fuck, because you ain't killing yourself if you was innocent. You ain't killing yourself if you was innocent. You ain't you ain't removing yourself from all your companies if you completely innocent. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. what you think about that what you think about uncle rush also, oh let me tell you something russell did that shit yeah russell fucking did that shit and let me tell you something i did a um i did an interview for a comedy documentary i don't know if or when it's coming out uh, but i did an interview and it's about black comic not comics black comedy it's about the okay. importance of black comedy throughout history as a as a as a platform for us as a marginalized group to talk about issues and you know just all of the smarty arty aspect of like humor from the comedy. like pygmy markham yeah, all the way all up? the way oh, today okay and so it's the role of comedy in the black community okay. basically and so i go and i talk about it from my standpoint being a woman and whatever whatever and so that one of the producers on a pot on, on the podcast one of the producers on <laughs> it's gonna be a podcast too. on the um <laughs> On the shoot documentary. documentary, she was asking me, she was like, well, you know, we spoke to um, Russell Simmons about like his time, about his time running Def Comedy Jam and mm. how, you know, back then it was really hard. So basically they brought me in as a comic, but more so as a woman comic to give a woman perspective about how it is to be a woman in this it space. In this, yeah. And so the only point of reference that they kept going back to was like, well, we talked to Russell Simmons and he was like, you know, during Def Comedy Jam days, it was like really hard for women to be on a road. Like, you know, there would be times if like a woman was at a club, you know, like the owner of the club or producer would like, like push up on her and be like really, you know, sexually aggressive or mm. like, invite them back to their hotel or you know women said that there's opportunities like there's been times where they were approached you know very aggressively sexually and i was like i don't know what the fuck he's talking about Mm. i said because that don't apply today you think Mm. that's what's going on today and i said no don't get me wrong there are instances but women comics in general are not being preyed upon Mm. you know what i'm saying are they not what i'm saying i don't i don't know i'm saying to the point where if 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 you look at the women who are, who work the road, mm-hmm. 
I don't think a large number of the women who are headlining clubs and working the roads are getting there because they suck somebody's dick. Yeah. Okay. You get what I'm saying? I, I, th- could, I, I see that from a um, from working the road. I, I, I agree. Now, let, but do you feel that same thing applies to... Now, I ain't saying that they're doing it, but I'm saying the offer to do it, to get ahead, when, when you're talking about TV stuff. I think that the mind that I think that the woman's mindset has changed. That might have been something that more women would have considered back then during the deaf comedy days. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, he want to take me out, I'll go out, or he want to get me a drink, I'll go get a drink. Yeah, but I think I, women today, like, nah, I'm good. Like, I don't have to do that because now true. we have other outlets. Like when you when I say the bottleneck, if deaf comedy jam is the pinnacle of of exposure for the black comedy for the black comedy scene and you know that this is the only way for you to be to get a tv credit on you know to get a tv credit and to get a cable where you get to curse and be yourself Mm -hmm. credit you may be willing to do more things and and the gatekeepers of that the russell simmons know that Mm, or the people that or the people that work under them know that there's only one way there's only one way in so they can try you but now there's not just one way in so if you were a producer at a at a if i'm hitting you as a headliner i say hey i would like to come work your club and you're like well what can you do for me in return i'll be like i'm just not gonna work that club i'm gonna gonna go somewhere else it's different in that um you got the two dope queens now Mm -hmm. which ain't no man at the top of that yeah there's no uh patriarchal and that's built from the ground up from the work that they put in it's two black women two black women uh what's her name phoebe robinson and jessica williams williams podcast called two dip queens so there there's the opportunity to just do it yourself even guys we fucked with two other women they they go on the road they tour now here's the other thing because this goes back to what we was talking about both of those outlets have a strong access, and I and I applaud the way that they did it. They have a, a access, even though they're, they're two black women. They have plenty of white women fans, mm-hmm. and whether we want to admit it or not, that's what helps to monetize and of success. Course. Dave Chappelle said it best. The, what did he say? Oh, he was uh when he was doing his shows at um Radio City Music Hall. He was like, I know that large portion of my audience is white, and you know. I thank them for it because I wouldn't be rich if I didn't have them. Wouldn't be rich. Yeah. So you wouldn't. So even the 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 fact that they have access to that and they knew how to make that work for them, dope. But for the black comics who don't, who never went to school with white people, mm-hmm. who never had white friends, who yeah. never been on teams, white and don't and legit, I've seen motherfuckers who kill in black rooms. I mean, like the confidences, yeah, through the roof. Mm-hmm. They get in and they like, man, these white people don't understand nothing I'm talking about. And the fear that you see wash over the face. So, like, even for them, their one bottleneck opportunity is like all deaf digital. Yeah. You know, which is still deaf comedy jam. Mm-hmm. It's like it hasn't really changed it since hasn't, the 90s. It hasn't unless changed. you change and know how to tap into a different market well i'm saying this to all women out there whether you in comedy or not if a nigga try you saw my joke last night if a nigga try you yeah you cut him off at the knees cut it off. you don't need to you don't need you to don't. subject yourself to that because there's no and i think that's why it seems like an avalanche of these accusations and it's not that the shit just happened is that women are finally realizing okay i can be heard and say what happened to me and not be questioned or not be undermined 
Right. I mean, you still going to get pushed. Back. People are still like, oh, why she just does and all that dumb shit. I don't get I it don't it don't matter. You know, I thought about this and it's like it's not that it's not that it's a slap on the butt or a little shoulder massage. Those things are inappropriate. But in most of these cases where that happened, it has a more lingering effect because the man was in a position of power. And once you know that somebody is sexually interested in you, it kind of determines how you navigate in that space. Yeah. And I think that's more that's that's the real issue. And that's what people like. So what? He flirted. So what? It's like, yeah, but if your your boss flirts with you on a Monday, then that means you're thinking, well, fuck. What did I wear on Monday? Let me not wear that right. again. Okay, let me make sure that I'm not in a space around him alone. Okay, well, if he calls me into his office, I'm going to keep the door open versus keep. So it just, it 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 changes your, your natural approach to things because you're like, well, how can I desexualize myself? I just want to come to work and make money. I want to climb the ladder. But now if I'm up for a promotion, does that mean I got the promotion because he want to fuck me or, you know what I'm saying? So it's something that, that when men here, like, so what? So, and this is what I hate dudes. If you don't know what sexual harassment is, look that (laughs) shit up. Don't go on social media and be like, well, what is it? And why is it such? just because that means when, whenever I see a man ask what is sexual assault or sexual harassment on social media, that means that they trying to clear them names because they probably did some shit. anybody defending cosby most of the times they did some shit oh it's so funny because now i'm getting i get phone calls i started getting text messages from guys who who definitely did some me too shit to me wow on like so what's up how you doing they just want to they want to gauge me to see if i'm about to drop that bomb on them whether they did it they definitely thought about it yeah they definitely made a passing joke or something like that it's it's weird man like i'm thankful to to the gods that be because that's never been my thing i've always been kind of the worst i've slid into a comics dm and said a, a photo was sexy at most only because like this is where i get peace you know what i'm saying what, comedy, comedy yeah. and like being on stage so i never want to shit where i eat in a in a certain you never <laughs> flirted with a female comic i flirt with i flirted with you you definitely but she was me already booked on a show a picture of your dick you i did not send you no Clark dick Jones sent you me know what somebody's going somebody's going edit this and it I just ain't gonna be that you sent it was covered up it was Shit. it was a it was a imprint it was a i gotta get print. i gotta get in the new york times but some this kind is the funny way. thing this is a funny thing about it it was so funny to me you sent me a picture of your dick i did no but it was i think we were talking you you had you had on um shorts or some shit like boxer briefs, and because I think I was like, "What are you doing right now?" You was like, "Nothing," and you sent me a dick pic. Oh, and man. but the funny thing was, is like when you sent it, it was like nighttime, but the photo was clearly daytime, and I was like, "Is this your go-to dick pic picture that you, you know sent what? out?" Somebody was like, "Man, you just supposed to send the seventh pic in your phone," and that happened to be this. I did have a go-to. I was in a weird period at that point, but I had nothing to offer at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't have, like, a deal on the table next to my dick. <laughs> no, there's nothing. I didn't take, put it like this, because I'm a comic, I didn't take offense to it. I kind of joked about it. We joked and then kept it moving. And kept it moving. If there's no, there was no power, you know? Like, no. Steve Urkel was a sexual predator, but he had no power over Laura, so we just let it slide. I know. <laughs> He wasn't like dean of admissions <laughs> at the college she was trying to go to. She would, you know, he have hilarious. a nice car. 
we just let it slide because he didn't. The power element of it, it's not okay even if y'all on the same level and it's unwanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, you know, you we talked about why politicians do this. It's like, man, that power, that power is crazy, and it's the only way they can get. It'll get people to do what they want them to do. Yeah, the fact that they have a powerful position. So I if he's using that in any way, any type of leverage, then yeah, that's sexual harassment, man, and it, it it's it's regular harassment. Because you're fucking with something, the people's jobs, and then it's also of a sexual nature. So it's two crimes. Yeah. Really in one. And you know why you, you know you're not cute. You know you don't dress that well. You know why you can even have a conversation with this person. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, you know, it. I just like to talk in fairness and cover both sides. There's another side of it where it's like, I know I've gotten opportunities because a person, a woman has thought that there would be a chance for something. Oh, well, yeah, because in comedy, let's be honest, in comedy, there are women in positions of power who definitely be smashing and dashing. Man, most of the gatekeepers smashing are. Smashing and dashing. In, in our, that's why it's always so weird to me. It's like a lot of the people who can green light or get you access are women. Who be trying to fuck. Oh, for sure and i'm not saying it like i'm not saying that liberally i'm saying yes they really be trying to and they love black dudes they love they love they love they love dudes period a lot of how can i say this some the women some of the women in these positions are women who if they were walking on the street no nigga would even (laughs) like it's like yeah, excuse me, I like wouldn't yeah. even stop. But yeah, excuse me, little boy. All of a sudden, they have these little young, boy, attractive the black dudes <laughs> talking to them like they're actually interesting people, mm-hmm. and that goes to your head. It's a matriarchal type of thing where either they're trying to fuck you, they're trying to be your mama, or they're trying to be both. Yeah, I'm the one who got you the interview with mm-hmm. Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. I'm like your comedy mom, yeah. but I also want to fuck you too. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's yeah. not nobody wants to talk about it because it's like oh women 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 but 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 it's but, a real thing. But I feel like well you, you know see because you see both you I, both and I be and I be looking at you I be telling you I be like yo that chick is crazy she let me the most let me let me do this for your show let me do I'm like but this is the thing though I okay see because the male ego is different right mm-hmm. so there are men who right now could say this woman executive. Or this woman in a position of power did ex- proposition me sexually, X, Y, and Z, try to leverage their power mm-hmm. for some dick. And the male ego won't allow them to do that. Won't allow them to go through with to it? To go public. Like, there are men right oh, now who can go yeah. public. Like, the way women are going public, like, the way the women were talking yeah. about Louis C.K., there are men who could talk about women like that. Oh, absolutely. And they won't because it's like, mm. A friend of mine who you know got his dick grabbed by a very loved woman comedian and I'm, he like yeah i should go forward i'm like i don't think people are ready because there's there's also the 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 stereotype that we in of our hypersexualized mm-hmm. things well, like Cruz. what even terry cruz now he has to sue and that dude's been reinstated yep mm-hmm. if we talking about grabbing pussy and all of that this dude grabbed his dick and people are like man well, let's give him a second chance yeah, oh, they suspended him for a month and And whatever. Russell Simmons asking Terry Crews to give him a second chance. I'm like, 
Because they all motherfucking predators. That ain't even your homie. And you sending him DMs. People, when people get too much power, they don't know what to do with it. And especially when those people are unattractive. So, man. Unattractive people with power, with little dicks shriveled up, don't know what to do, look terrible like they just rolled out of a garbage pail. When they get power, they they will abuse it at every turn. Because that's, that's attainable. Like, this woman isn't attainable by respectable means where you look nice. You always going to be ugly. You don't feel like working out. You, um, (laughs) you're just a, you're, you're asocial, all of these things. So, you know, it's easy to just try to work hard and be successful than to actually be a decent person. This person, this one would never even talk to you. So you feel like this power gives you that right. Um, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, you know, because of the society we in, capitalism, people want to move up in the corporate ladder and entertainment ladder. Those things may happen. Yeah. But like now the lid is kind of coming off mm-hmm. off of all of it. So, you know, and it, it's I don't I don't want to I'm not one to feel like I'm a victim. And, you know, it is what it people are fucked up, but it ain't just a, a sexual predator guy thing. It is hap- it happens on the other side. Oh, too. definitely. It's a power it's a power thing. It is yeah. a power thing. And and like even, you know, when all the Illuminati stuff people always be getting caught up in. It ain't like one day you're just doing your own thing and all of a sudden you get invited to a meeting where you make a sacrifice and now you're <laughs> Illuminati. It's little things along the yeah. route, little sacrifices, mm-hmm. you know, that you're just like, oh, I really want to get on this comics to watch showcase. But they said you can't talk about politics. Mm-hmm. You're a political comedian. That's what you mm-hmm. have a heart for. But you can't do it. So that's that's your entry into sacrificing who you are yeah. for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. It starts small and it gets bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger. People only find out when you know you get your mom killed. But like the <laughs> the, the, the 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 entry process started the first time you say, you know what, I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna do me. Because I want this opportunity. Yeah. And then, which is yeah. why I don't do a lot of things. Well, I don't want to say don't do a lot of things, which is why I kind of am very choosy and picky about what I go for. Because mm-hmm. to do something just to do something, I'm not, you know, and I hate when people are like, well, what do you got to lose? Well, right. if you keep thinking like that, then you are going to lose something because then you're just willing to put your name into any situation. You're and I'm not yourself. doing that. Yeah. You lose yourself, man. And, you know, you talk yourself into it sometimes. You're just like, well, when I get on enough, then then I'll be me again. And I'll, you know, but yeah. it's too late at that point. I know. Look at Kevin Hart. Look at so, so, so perfect, perfect example. The other way you go about it is now he's helped out a lot of young black comedians, mm-hmm. myself included. I've never met Kevin Hart, but he did help me with the outlet that he had. So, but he wants to be Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm just like, <laughs> like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you after be dressing up like a, like, like Tyler Perry? And, oh, wait, he, he wants to be. He already put it out there. He wants to be Mrs. Doubtfire. He wants to recreate the movie. And oh. I'm just like, the trade off and like, people are like, well, he's did Kevin Hart, Heart of the City. And he's put a lot of black comedians on. So they have to support him if he does questionable things. You know things. what? The thing is it's that all these it's compromises. interesting because when it comes to Kevin Hart, 
he's he's still lead he's still living a double life he is the black comic that that looks out for black for a fellow black comics with heart of the city mm-hmm. and then he's the mainstream comic that wants to be loved by everybody who does like these gpg rated movies with like the rock and jumanji right right and a lot of times i feel like you kind of have to merge the two because what is the point of you being i don't want to say what's the point you're kevin hart and you have this outlet for comics of color but those comics are not trans are not transferring over to the mainstream because it seems like that's just your little nigga lane over here that you got right. let's give him his little nigga lane because you know he's asked for it because we really want the big shit so let him do yeah. this stuff that nobody's paying attention to is that comedy central credit really a comedy central credit on the from their side, because they say, no, "Oh yeah, Bill Comedy Central." No, what? it's, Heart it's of a the Kevin. City? It's a Kevin Hub. It's a Kevin Hart Hub. And they go, "Oh, Heart of the City." Okay, yeah. So, and I'm not. I love it. I think it's dope. But I'm just saying, how they're looking at it from that side. The industry is not receiving Kevin Hart's endeavors that pertain to comedy comedians of color as they should be. Yeah, right. It's not a it's not a springboard no, to it's like not a oh you did Heart of the City will come do this segment on the Daily Show. Yeah. It oh, don't, it definitely don't, not. It's not it's not that. But, you know, I also feel like, man, you gotta have that hustler's ambition too. So you gotta work that Comedy Central credit some kind of way for yourself. You know what I mean? Because he's not gonna he's gonna The thing is I don't wanna put it on him. <laughs> I don't think I don't yeah. think he has to be a savior. He doesn't have to be all things to all people. Yeah. I think he has a very successful career. I am, you know, I respect his grind and all that stuff. I like his book. He's a great book. I didn't read his book. Um, very good. But I do think that the, the issue of Kevin Hart is that when it comes to people of color, breaking through to the larger mainstream audience, mm-hmm. there's always room for one. One at a time. One at a time. One at a time. So Kevin Hart is the one. Tiffany Haddish is the next one. Tiffany, it's it's like Noah's Ark. It's yeah. one man, one woman, one man, one woman, one woman at a time. Mm-hmm. One black, one and white. And so yeah, a lot I mean, of times black, people have these expectations based off of what their their viewpoint of the one is. And right. Kevin Hart does not symbolize represent all comedians of color. And he and he's on his own path. He's on his own path. And so when you look at us. I feel like don't measure us to them. Don't measure black women comedians to Tiffany Haddish because that's definitely unfair. That's unfair. And you have to realize that the way that he goes about handling his business is the way he chooses to do it. But it shouldn't be the blueprint for everybody else. No. I mean, it's 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 a lot of thankfully we live in a time where there's a lot of ways to get to it. And like you don't have to be it would be it would make your job easier if comedy central was like you know what man we're gonna find something for you but it's like you gotta show you gotta prove and show first like you're you're you you can't just go in with an idea you have to go in with a successful podcast with numbers and here he 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 oh yeah they definitely want to see numbers and then they'll say oh we'll think about it and then they're like man we'll shoot a pilot maybe and then that don't even mean greenlit. And then you got to go back to it if they don't accept it. It's it's rough, but it is possible. 
It is possible. That's just the country we live in. It's rough, but, but it's I also think that, you know, if you're going to apply it to the larger population and people in general, it's like, it's cool to be a part of a system, but it's even better to make your own way. And yeah. I think a lot of times people are, now, especially with all that's going on politically in this country, people have bought into systems that are failing them and they're going to have to find their own way. Mm-hmm. So like this whole, you know, the two party government system in this country needs to be reevaluated. You know, the way that we go about providing infrastructure for this country needs to be reevaluated. Like just a lot of things need to be reevaluated. And I think that's why I'm kind of glad that we are in a situation because it's forcing people to reevaluate how they approach their day-to-day lives. It's not enough to just wake up and have faith in the system anymore. Net neutrality. Yeah, that's it. No, it's not. It's not gone. It is. It what? They undid it? No, no, no. I'm saying the FCC voted for net neutrality, which really was the Republicans voted for because they're Mm -hmm. getting paid. Um, but they still have. It still has to be clear by the Senate. And then all of these states have already sued because they're saying that yeah, y'all can roll it back. But if because this is the thing, the GO (laughs) the GOP does this thing where they say, oh, it should be it should be left up to the states about gun reform. It should be left up to the states about gay marriage. It should be left up to the states for all of the things that they don't want to have to federally see what it is is that the government why are you giving me on this tangent mm. the government the gop led government doesn't want to have to use federally federally funds federal funds to fund endeavors that they personally don't believe in so that's gay marriage that's gun reform that's yeah all that shit <laughs> so they throw it back on the state so they're right. saying the states have to use their own money because you know it's all about money so they don't want to use federal federal funds to and to put into place these things so they throw it back on the state let the state decide which is translation let the state use their own money because we don't want to pay for it mm-hmm. right but then now it's going to kick them in the butt because then that's going to apply to gay a marriage of, marijuana yeah. mm-hmm. gun reform is going to apply to net neutrality so it's like well if you say it's going to it should apply to abortion you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so if you saying that it should be the states well, then, then it's really going to be the states so now it's going to be people being like well the state government of new york allows gay marriage there's a ban on guns we offer free education free child care health insurance mm-hmm. so now you're going to be like well shit well if i'm living in mississippi i might as well move to new york because they got all this shit popping got all this shit on me. and which is also going to contribute because i read this article that says that um and like in the future that um the the dense populations are going to shift, so there's going to be less people in the middle of the country and more people move to the coastal countries because It'll be like Wyoming, yeah, everywhere. Because like because <laughs> like the coastal countries are more liberal and more progressive, and so of course they're gonna, if you're leaving it to the states to pick their own infrastructure and their rules, then if I'm in the middle of the country, I'm gonna go to the fucking coastal country. Then you do a college up in like Wyoming or oh yeah, I've been some, all over North Dakota. Or something yeah, like I was that. in North Dakota. How was that? Um, it was interesting to see how they live but it's not a lot of people but i was in an i was in an oil town i'm in oil man. there's okay. an oil town they actually tried to do a show about it on, on abc but it it flopped but it is a it's an interesting city um mm. it was it's a small town ca- called minot it's two of them minot and williston and um they have oil and they had oil in like the 60s and the 70s mm-hmm. but but technology they didn't have the drills to get the more oil because the the drills only go straight down. Oh, okay. And so they were depleted, but then there were also reserves off to the side. And so now that technology advanced, they were able to drill down and then over to the side and get more oil. So they had an oil boom, like, you know, a decade, like a little bit more than a decade ago. And did they take to your pro-black educated woman? They loved it. They were cool because because they're not, they're not PC because it's mostly, 
it's mostly men because mm. they they come near to work. Yeah. And then I did a college, and the college, the, all the kids go to school for free because mm. they have money. So see, their pockets of socialism. Yeah, because they had the only reason why they gave kids free college education is because they didn't want them to enter the workforce. Mm. <laughs> because it's like, listen, we already have these people who are who are commuting here, who are relocating here. We have all these adults who are working. You have a forty year old man who's trying to raise a family, and you got an eighteen year old kid who just graduated high school. Tell that nigga to go to school. Yeah, we need something to do with all these eighteen or twenty two yeah, year yeah. olds. Go to school for free. They pay them. They they give them extra extra money like an oh, extra man. money stipend That's to go awesome. to school and then when they graduate they can get a job but it's like well shit that should be how it is every everywhere fucking they don't want us to win they don't want okay, us to burn let's it down. did you say bernie so they don't want us to burn it down um oh it's gonna get burnt down it's going <laughs> out trust um okay so let's end this podcast it's such a good conversation i'm so, so glad good. we were able to do this yeah. um i ended the same way every single time uh clark what makes you a social misfit? I really, I think me becoming a comedian is is born out of the fact I don't like, I love people. I just like them at a distance from me. <laughs> like I love a crowded room where I'm on stage and they're there over there in the crowd having to listen. Yeah. So I don't, I don't always love conversations with people, I'm really, I'm not a good networker. You know, people may see me at a party, at a holiday thing, or a little feeling like, oh, Clark, yeah, talking. I'm like, I'm talking to the same five people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those cartoons where the road just repeats, oh, repeats. in the background. Mm-hmm. It's the same five people. I'm just having great conversations with them because I like to talk to those people. Um, so that makes me a social misfit. I'm not a good networker. Mm, yeah. Not good. I but wish it's I okay. It's, it's okay to not. It is important, but it's okay to not be a good networker. That just means I'm not necessarily the best networker either, because I don't like dealing with bullshit. Mm. But it just means that we have to work harder That's, on our own thing. I'll take it. We just have to work harder and make ourselves undeniable. And I think that mm-hmm. applies to everybody. You know, it's it, we don't we don't really work. We don't really the idea of merit based is not doesn't apply anymore right but the numbers but it's the numbers it's the following it's the people who gravitate towards you that will make you successful and your friends your friends will help you out i I do think i am thankful a lot of i think a lot of people are waiting from for something to happen they believe that i'm funny but there's this mentality of like oh if they don't have this credit if they haven't done this thing then you know like they just wait for me to get validated Mm -hmm. by something yeah. So they can go nuts. It's like that big punchline they're waiting on. It's yeah. Like, oh, he got that. So the opportunity for it, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, February 25th, Nitten Factory. I'm recording my album. Yes. And it's going to be called Welp. And it's going to be <laughs> super duper fun. So so come out for that. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I'll put it in the description of the show. Also, where can, I have a pe- where can people follow you at? At the Clark Jones, T H E E, Clark Jones. All over the internet, um, classicblackdude.com is the blog. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me and Winnie. Thanks for having me, Winnie. Um, it's been fun. Give me that hand. Oh, are we shaking hands? Oh, <laughs> Just because okay. it's, you know, it was black Help. academia. Okay, we good. were so black it. academia. I love it. I love it. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Tune in next week. Also, please like, listen, and share. Follow my mailing list. I'll put that in the description as well. Take care.